1: Today is the last day of May, May 31st, 2023. I hope everybody's having a great week. I want to start off, as always, with the quote by Albert Einstein, which is, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And I love this quote, and I've said this many times, but in different ways each time, but I love it because, as one of the people that's considered the most intelligent of all time, he's telling you that he's not smart just for solving general relativity as we understand it today there's still a lot of holes in how we understand physics including how we graft relativity with gravity which is really how, what I learned reading Stephen Hawking's recently but he knows that real intelligence comes from how you approach change are you going to shy away from change every single time an opportunity comes up that you want You know, you're going to be in control by the fear, you're going to be in control of that emotional state where you're nervous, so you're not going to do the action that you're nervous about, even though you know it's what you want, or are you going to face the reality that that fear is going to be there, whether you do everything in the world about it or not? I mean, it's going to be there. And last night I had the opportunity to perform live for the first time at Open Mic, and I took this opportunity, and it's literally been on my mind for a very, very long time, and leading up to it over the past two weeks, it's kind of driven me a little crazy each day, and especially yesterday leading up to it, I was nervous as could be all day, but My friend and I made it out there. We had a great experience, and we are more excited than ever to continue down this path where I play the guitar, he plays the drums. We're having a great time, and this is simply something that I want to do. And I can confidently tell you that I was not 100% confident going into that, nor do I necessarily feel 100% confident now. I'm still nervous about it. But somehow, I was still able to take that step, and I argue that it's because I've acknowledged that the fear is going to be there, I've acknowledged that the feeling is going to be there, but I have a choice to control the feeling, move my feet forward, pick up the guitar, do what it is I want to do, or am I going to get stuck in the feeling? Am I going to accept the feeling itself as the ultimate truth? Don't get stuck in your feelings like that. Feelings come and go. Sometimes you're going to do something that you love that for some reason you don't even feel like doing it at all. Even if it's your greatest passion. You can't get stuck in your feelings like that. Your feelings are there for good reasons, but they're not there to sabotage you every single step of the way. That is not what your feelings are there for. So let's go ahead and get into our content today, which is actually going to be a little different because I I want to try my hand at explaining something that a lot of people are going to be confused about right now because I certainly was confused about it before I read this article. And it's about the debt ceiling, because they have to vote on the debt ceiling today. You know, you just heard about it in the newsflash before my radio started. And it's kind of a bipartisan, non-bipartisan issue, because like most things in Congress, if there's a way for them to gain points for their next election, make themselves look good at the expense of the other party, they're going to take it whether they're Republican, whether they're Democrat, whether they're Libertarian, Independent, Green Party, any party, they're going to take those opportunities. So, and that point is more or less shown by the fact that you've got Republicans that want to vote for it, you've got Republicans that don't want to vote for it, you've got Democrats that want to vote for it, and you've got Democrats that don't want to vote for it. So, this debt that they're talking about is the U.S. government's Debt to finance their expenditures. So the U.S. government has a deficit because they collect a certain amount of revenue primarily through taxes. The taxes that you pay, the taxes that I pay, the taxes that everybody in this radio station pays, and everybody around the country pays. Primary source of revenue. But the problem is the U.S. Government has expenditures and costs that are much higher than the taxes and the other sources of income that they get. So to pay for what they're spending on, they have to borrow money. The limit on that is set through what's called that debt ceiling. So they've had to raise that debt ceiling as time has gone on because, well, heck, it's not just a proportion. It has to be a number. So as time has gone on and inflation naturally occurs and more people live in this country, we have more expenses. So the debt ceiling naturally is going to have to keep going up. But we're at a point to where we've hit our debt ceiling and therefore the U.S. government cannot legally borrow any more money or else there's going to be a whole lot of trouble because we're in a Republican system where if you don't do what you say, you're going to get voted out. If you cause chaos and break the rules, you're going to get voted out. And we're going to put people in there that are going to do their job and do what they say. So if they don't raise the debt ceiling, what's going to happen is that the U.S. government cannot borrow any money any further. And the issue is going to arise that they cannot pay for certain things anymore at that point. Be it social security programs be it military expenditures, and I'm looking at this graph here that shows some of the biggest things. You've got mandatory expenditures and discretionary expenditures. So mandatory, you got to do it. Discretionary, relatively optional, not absolutely mandatory. What's legally mandatory and is the biggest by far is SS Social Security the Social Security program that started during the Great Depression during the 1930s when FDR was president. And for better or worse, Social Security is going to be around for most of our retirements. And what ultimately cracks me up, though, is that for as expensive as it is for over 300 million Americans, there's going to be, with retirement savings, that just over $2,000 a month for most people. And that's basically about $1,000 from the savings and then about $1,000 from the Social Security each month. And that is by far the biggest expense for for our government is Social Security. Then you've got income security, Medicare programs, Medicaid, and then the biggest by far for discretionary, quote unquote, is the Department of Defense. I understand why it's considered strictly discretionary, but I think there's a lot of arguments in the current world climate why it's kind of mandatory at the same time. But that's a whole other discussion. So we're going to go over a couple more details about the debt ceiling when we get back, and then we'll get into our Tony Robbins content for the day. Stay tuned to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. This is Trevor Davis, lead wealth coach up at TWA. We're going to continue discussing the debt ceiling a little bit more. And if you have any questions about this debt ceiling, you can give me a call, 281-558-5738. I would love to hear your input about it, your take on it. If you have any questions, I will do my best to answer them. Now, the debt ceiling right now is set at $31.4 trillion. So that's T-R-I-L-L-I-O-N trillion, not million, definitely not that, not billion, but trillion. So 31.4 trillion. And this debt is going to be financed by a lot of different people in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. because this debt is strictly the U.S. government itself's debt. And when you look at it, You're going to see that most of this debt is owned by the public, and then you see a lot of the debt actually owned by the U.S. federal government itself. The biggest owner of this debt is Japan, which owns $1.1 trillion in debt, but as I was just looking at it over the break, Japan is also the nation that has the highest debt-to-GDP ratio. So, they have had to borrow, relative to their GDP, 261.289% of that GDP. So over 2.6 times what their GDP is annually from last year, that's how much they've borrowed. And to put it into perspective, if you've ever heard anything about Greece's economic disasters and mistakes— Greece has borrowed 177%, so 1.77 times their national GDP. In other words, the biggest owner of U.S. debt is, ironically, perhaps the biggest person by, by nation to personify the nation that's in debt themselves. Now, What's happening here is that the issue is not only it has to be paid back, but there's also interest on it. And over $213 billion in interest was paid just in the last quarter of 2022. So there's always that impetus for people to pay back their loans because of interest. You know, the longer you have it, longer interest rolls on, the more you end up having to pay once it's all said and done. So, we do not want this debt to not be solved because if we default on this debt, then we're going to lose our credit rating, according to let me see here. Rating agencies across the world downgraded the U.S. from its top AAA rating to A back in August 2011 when we had that debt ceiling debate. So, that caused significant market turmoil. And like the issues that happened in 2008 and nine, we have these debt ceiling discussions and things don't necessarily go the best direction. It causes market panic, cause market collapse. And we are literally today at the cusp of what could be the start of the biggest recession since 2008 and nine. And although it seems like every time they have a vote on this, they more or less succeed and they just raise it, it just always begs the question each time of when is it not going to work? When is that just going to make the problem so much worse that you might as well have not voted to raise the debt ceiling? That's really my question. But it's... More or less, to me, a foregone conclusion that they are just going to raise it and they're going to pass the buck as they usually like to do. You know, if you can't save your butt now, if you can't completely save it, well, pass the challenge on to somebody else and at least your butt's covered for now. But I I want a better solution to be had and I want that solution to be had as needed across the aisle Across to the Democrats, across to the Libertarians, across to everybody in Congress, to understand that what what this is like, this situation does not need to keep happening. This shouldn't continue to be the the debate. We already know doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result—it's a classic definition of insanity. So we need to figure out the debt situation. We need to get to a point where. We're not just constantly borrowing, over borrowing, overextending ourselves, spending too much. And then inevitably we go back into another major recession. Like when people over borrowed, they overlent, they lent to people that were not qualified and they based it on mortgages that people were not qualified for. So when they got called, it was absolute chaos. That's a massive issue. But even though the ups and downs in the markets are kind of inevitable, we hopefully should do a better job each time. That's, that's really where I'm getting at when I to get into these stock market discussions is that even though there's going to be ups and downs, I think there are ways for us to soften the downs. Maybe even that if that means the ups aren't quite as radically insane, so be it. If we've got better stability across the board and better progress across the board, I think that's a fair price. I don't think the economy is meant always to be extreme ups and extreme downs. I think we kind of have taken this approach to where it's either all winning or all losing. Either you're all a winner or you're just completely out of luck. I don't think that's the way the economy should work at the grand scale. You know, maybe it can work on the individual level because some people cannot be helped. But I don't think that's how we need to approach the entire economy. Now, let's go ahead and get into the discussion about Tony Robbins today. This is on day three. And really, I'm really thinking we could get finished through this possibly next month man, all of day four. So we're talking about strategies for the visualization of goals. And one thing that we have to give ourselves credit for is that no matter where we're at, we've accomplished a ton of specific goals. We have accomplished a ton of specific things that have been important to us. One of the best ways for you to get new results in something that involves change, and again, change being the scariest thing that humans can face, we've got to cultivate the attitude we had when we succeeded at doing those changes before and getting those goals before, because we've done it before, and there's nothing new under the sun, and if everybody's been doing this stuff before, if somebody's done this in some way before, you know, do it that same way and find out your unique way later is probably the best approach. Learning is the creationship, creation of a relationship between the known and the unknown. So strategy is a, a specific way of organizing your resources in order to consistently produce a specific result. How are you executing habits that are consistently getting you results Versus just, you know, the situation where someone builds themselves up, they rev themselves up, they get super amped. It's a extremely high peak state, as Tony would call it, but it's not a sustainable, consistent state. That's my approach to the gym, for example. I'm not trying to burn myself out every single solitary week. I'm trying to get workouts in to where I'm consistently building results. I'm staying active. I feel healthy. I look good. And I feel confident going to the gym as many times as I need to during the week. And I can go next week without feeling too sore. And I feel I kind of have to hit a balancing point because last week, I did not go to the gym. And That's because my body was literally so flipping sore from the previous weeks where I've added the deadlifts to my exercise routine that I was telling myself, and my body was telling me that you really need to cool it off a little bit because your joints are sore, your muscles are sore, you're sore all over. It's been over five days. It's been five days since your last workout from last week, like you need. To take a break. So that's why this week, back on it, ready to go and feeling back to normal, more or less, you know, still feeling a little sore in a couple different spots, but I think that's a good thing. So to elicit a strategy, we're looking at ingredients, amounts and qualities, order and sequence, and intensity and duration. What Tony Robbins really likes to do And this is kind of a discussion that may seem a little too mystical, magical sometimes, maybe a little bit too out there. But whenever you think about something, does it seem to make more sense and be clearer if it's in black and white or if it's in color? Most people are going to say color, but a lot of people actually prefer black and white. Is the image going to be clearer if you've got sound with it? You're thinking about a goal. Let's. Do you think it's clearer if you've got people cheering you on in the background? Yes. You might be more audio, audio sensitive like myself. No, maybe sound isn't that important to you. What other senses are being stimulated during this event? Is there a warmth in the air, a, a crispness in the air? Are you eating something? Are you smelling something? What what can you associate positive to a goal in the past that you could potentially connect to a new goal or maybe exploit to push you to associate that new goal with positivity from the past? We're at the halfway point with the TWA radio show, folks. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. We'll be right back after the break, so stay tuned. All right, everybody, we are back from the break at the halfway point with the TWA Total Wealth Academy radio show, Wednesday show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. So let's get into the stock market because I got a couple updates here for the stock market that actually had to correct a couple things because I was actually basing my numbers from 2022, the end of 22, from December 7th. I went back to my source, which is slickcharts.com, and I pulled up the entire 2022 up to December 31st. And that ended up furthering the losses because there were more losses throughout December 2022. And now I'm going to be able to give you all the correct net from people that started investing in these stock indices at the beginning of 2022. With a very, very important point to be made about a large earner, for 2023. So I'm going to start off with Dow Jones. And Dow Jones has been the one that's been around the longest. It's overall had the most, the lowest returns, but the most consistent for what it's worth. And year to date now, they're at negative 0.32%. And the total loss in 2022 was 8.78. So Dow Jones is sitting at -9.1 for people that invested at the beginning of 2022 and earlier, which is going to be the vast majority of people because you're investing in the stock market across decades to retire and use that money for your retirement. S&P is next. This has had a 10.3% increase in 2023. So if you invested January 1st, and you invested $100,000, you would have made $10,300. Better than a sharp stick in the eye. But for those of us that invested before the very beginning of the year, January 1st, There was a negative 18.11% loss in 2022. So S&P is sitting at a net loss of negative 7.81. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Because as promised, I'm going to tell you when the stock market goes up and down. And guess what? NASDAQ has been going up in 2023 thus far. It's at 31.22%. And that's going to be a big round of applause for a lot of people in the stock market. In general, even if they're not even invested in in NASDAQ. But if you invested in NASDAQ January 1st, you would have been sitting at that 31.22%. That's great. I mean, that's really, really, really good. I mean, the IRR and the passive deal that I just got into is right at 30% which is the projection. And typically in these deals, it's very normal for that to be higher, but that's right at the same amount. That's awesome. I'm happy for the people that have decided to invest in NASDAQ January 1st. But what happened in 2022 was that NASDAQ lost 32.97%. Add the 31.22% since January 1st. And NASDAQ people that invested in 2022 and earlier are nonetheless still at a negative 1.75%. That's a loss of 1.75%. And the whole issue that I'm arguing on with this is that someone's gonna look at that and be like, this is proof that the stock market works. This one single cherry-picked data point is going to validate investing in the entire stock market. I don't agree with that. Because we're still at a loss, but let's take the approach on January 1st, 2023, when here we've shown now, May 31st, 2023, that you should have put all your money in NASDAQ. After NASDAQ lost almost a full third of its value in 2022, are you probably thinking, hey, you know what, honey? Now is the time to buy NASDAQ. Now is the time because I don't think it's going to drop anymore. I think now it's going to go up significantly and make up most of the losses of 2022. Is that a safe guaranteed bet or is that a risky bet? It's a risky bet. Are most people going to choose that at that time? Probably not. Because people in stocks are trying to get a safe, small, consistent rate of return because they've been taught that 6 to 7% after inflation is normal. That's the that's the expectation. Like that's reasonable. So if you invest $100,000 and you make seven thousand in a year you know that's that's great so if you're trying let's go let's go ahead and do the math which I'm going to do on the calculator here so seven thousand a year with a hundred thousand dollar invested with your average rate of return in the stock market so let's multiply that by 12 to get what we'd probably want every single month, $7,000 a month. So you're making 80, 84000 a year. So we're therefore just going to have to multiply what we invested times 12. So 100000 times 12, you'd have to invest $1.2 million just to make $84,000 a year across years of the stock market, of the average, because you're still going to have some years where you're facing those losses. But you'd have to invest well over a million dollars just to get the level of a good paying job in the stock market. This is ultimately the ultimate reason why it doesn't make sense to me. And I'm just one person. I understand this But this is why it doesn't work for me. This is why I don't choose to do that. Because, I mean, let's say you have the $84,000 a year job. And let's not look at expenses at all. Let's just divide $1.2 million by $84,000 a year. Right off the bat, that's going to take you 14 years and three months to do if you have no expenditures, literally zero, you don't have taxes, you don't have anything, that would take you 14 years and three months. So that's almost a decade and a half already. So let's make it make more sense. And when the average person is living paycheck to paycheck, let's say someone is able to save, they save a quarter of that every year they're saving 21,000. So 1.2 million divided by 21,000 means you have to save for 57 years. That's that's literally at age 57 a lot of people are already retiring. So are you expecting To have started, let's say you wanted to retire at age 65. Are you expecting that you started working at age eight and you were saving $21,000 every single year so you could finally have 1.2 million? You could finally invest it in the stock market and then do that. And then people are gonna ask me a question. They're gonna be like, well, aren't you going to sequentially invest in the stock market and make the six to 7%? Well, yeah, I would hope so. So let's just for illustration purposes, maybe hack off 10 years off of this. And I'll do a calculation for next week's show to show how long that would take at the $84,000 a year. Or maybe I'll just adjust it to be even less. But 7,000 a month, probably a good starting point for most people to consider themselves effectively retired. You know, we say say five to $10,000 a month so that's right there in the middle. Maybe I'll just make it 7500. But that's a long time. And that's it takes so long simply because the rate of return is so poor. I mean, it's just the 6 to 7%. That's the problem. If the stock market were consistently giving people 20 to 30%, which is what passive investors are getting, with the syndications that we're looking at. Our, our syndicators, we don't accept things that are going to be less than 20% IRR. So that's why you can do that 3 times faster. So to take that 57.14 divided by 3 and then that take that would take you less than 20 years by comparison. And again, we need to compensate for the fact that you're investing sequentially during that time, so it would be much less than the 20 anyhow, and much less than the 57, I would hope. But we have to make sure that we understand that with a three times rate of return, that retires you three times faster. That's what counts. We'll be right back for the final segment of the TWE Radio Show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Um, during the break, I was actually going through the exercise of just working through compounding the earnings on the stock market, and it's with two pretty generous assumptions. Um, we're looking at somebody that's making 84000 a year, and they're literally able to save and invest... 25% every year. So they're able to invest $21,000 every single year. And doing this so far after 16 years of the 7% rate of return, and it's 6 to 7%. So I'm doing the high estimate, which is the 7, which is the other generous part of this. And after the 16 years of investing that amount in 7% rate of return, we're at 626,000. So if we take 16 and divide it by three, if you're putting that into a passive investment at 21% rate of return, then you're at 626,000 after just over five years. I mean, it ultimately comes down to the time. I'm not saying stocks suck because they're not getting some money. I'm not saying that some people just aren't getting wealthy with them. I've, I've still not met somebody that's at least been willing to admit that they have. I don't know why they would hide that fact. But it's about the time. Why would I pursue an investment that's virtually guaranteed to take three times amount the amount of time. I'm not doing that because of the time issue. I'm not again I'm not saying it's not earning money for some people. I'm not saying some people have gotten very fortunate. They've gotten lucky and they've gotten twenty to thirty percent because they have some very, very good practices. They do short sales wisely and they've paid off. But if I can get up to this six hundred and twenty-six thousand in just over five years versus sixteen, personally, just me, just I'm going to choose the, the real estate. And that's why I'm going to choose the real estate. So again, what I did, all I did was say it's eighty four thousand dollars a year because this is somebody that wants to make $7,000 a month in passive income in retirement. And if you're getting 7% of that from investment in the stock market, that has to get up to the 1.2 million in the stock market at the 7%. So, I mean, we're just a little over halfway there. So I'll continue to do this math, and get the final number for next week. But I mean, it's it's going to be pretty close to 25 years to get to that point. So a quarter of a century to get to that 1.2. I mean, we're, we're halfway there after the 16, but compounding on higher numbers means it's going to take less time to get to that next, the other half. So I mean, probably around 25 years to get to that point. If you're saving and investing $21,000 every year, so it can work. There, There's no doubt about that at that point. I mean, clearly it it works if you've got that time and you want to do this strategy. And for a lot of people at this point, they're going to say, I like the reliability of it, quote unquote. I like the fact that I know about it. And... I've got I know so many people that are involved with it. It's what's familiar to me. I'm comfortable with it. It just feels like what I should do. You know, it's going to be hard for me to say anything else at that point because there are unfortunately as most of the people listening to this radio station know, there are some people you can't help. You cannot help everybody. It doesn't matter how much of a bleeding heart you are. You know, if you want to call the left-wing people the bleeding hearts or if you think the right-wing people are the bleeding hearts that actually want to help people, it, it doesn't matter what your politics are because human beings cannot all be helped. And not all human beings want to be helped. You can do your due diligence. You can help people as much as you possibly can to the best of your ability, but some people you can't do anything for. That could be a parent, that could be a child, that could be a best friend, that could be an acquaintance, that could be a coworker, could be a boss, could be someone that you just met. It could be somebody that has literally come out to something that's explicitly there to help people, but there's still something blocking them from making a significant, meaningful change. And that's very important When you're in the seminar business, like we are at Total Wealth Academy, where we have a membership program that says, $500 for two years, we're going to teach you everything that we know, and is this something that you want to do? You know, for me personally, I've made my decision before I've gotten to most places because I do extensive review searches I look up as many possible references I, as I can and I've more or less made my decision on my own before I go someplace. I personally don't like being sold things. I mean, everybody's a salesperson. I'm a salesperson. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of it. I, I don't really like it. I don't I don't like how I I don't feel like you're allowed to make a rational decision. And that's why when I'm selling, which like it or not, me liking it or not, that's what part of what I do. And that'd be part of what I do no matter what I did. But I am letting people think with their own head, giving them the time and space to make a rational, calm decision without pressuring people. I really think there's a lot of traditions of sales. Stereotypically to me, growing up in the 90s, there was a lot of stuff that I'd heard about from the 80s and and the 90s where sales, salesmanship was very, very, I mean, pretty underhanded, very fast and loose, fly-by-night style. It, it, it just, it's not the way it should be done. And boy, I know that there, there's going to be a lot of people who will disagree with me hard on that, but... Good luck fighting me off of this hill because I'm going to die on this one. You have to give people the time to make their own decisions. Listen to their needs. Answer the questions. And if you realize that this is somebody that cannot be helped, don't be a pressure monger. Don't try to make a sale that you know should not happen. Just for commissions, just for numbers, just for your ego. Now, let's continue the rest of what we got today for Tony Robbins, and then we will be done for today. We're talking about values and beliefs next. Two targets. We've got our values, our towards values, and our away values. Your towards values are the values that you want to be pulled towards, the things that attract you, the things that you want to be a part of. And then you have your away values, the things that you disagree with, the things that you want to be away from that you want to have nothing to do with. And like most things, we want to avoid pain more than we want to gain pleasure and enjoyment. So to translate that to this, we're going to do way more against the away values than we will for the towards values. And I think that's another issue that humans tend to face is that we have all this negative energy for trying to drag things down than we have for lifting the things that we like in the first place up. You know, we talk about living in a open, free society. Clearly, some people are not going to agree with you. And there are some things that I think most people will disagree with that should not be happening at all. Like there are some straight up bad things I think most of us could agree with that nobody would want to support rationally. But for the other things, you know, that are more or less a matter of disagreement, how you were raised, the religion you were raised in, the people that you're surrounded with growing up, we've got certain towards and away values. There is nothing a person does that is not an attempt to meet their needs. Everything somebody is doing is trying to get their needs met or further have their needs met. Improvement and evolution. At the same time as we're trying to evolve and improve ourselves as human beings and get better as time goes on, we don't need to sabotage our good mental state by moving goalposts every single time and not giving ourselves credit where credit is due. Make sure that when you achieve a goal, do something brave, get out of your comfort zone, you find a way to reward yourself and sharpen the saw so you associate massive positivity with taking this action. Folks, that's all I got for today at the TWA radio show. I will be back next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Y'all have a great rest of your week.